This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. My name is Rob Snow White, and this is my podcast. That's my real last name. I got to explain it at least once a day. Being that it's my podcast, this is the 223rd episode featuring Alice Owsley. We sat down at the Fly Fishing Show in Edison, New Jersey in January of 2019, and I've met Alice several times at the shows, but I really wanted to sit down and get her story. So we sat down, we went over all things, what it's like to be an East Coast fly fisherwoman, to move out west, how to avoid mountain lions, how to organize your gear and flies, how as a guide can you cater a trip to your client expectations. We also discuss Alice's husband's preference for indicators, which she disagrees with, how to get started in the industry, and I also tell some stories about Big Jim from college. So if you want to go and hire Alice for a trip when you're in Montana, please visit riversideanglers.com and let's get on with this story it's a fun one hope you all enjoy alice owsley's story all right so we have alice owsley with us let's learn about your fly fishing life so where are you from i was born in salem ohio and grew up there and in charlottesville virginia 
I learned how to fish in Ohio in the northeast part of the state from my dad. He had actually learned to fly fish maybe the weekend before we did. I thought it was going to be a great sport for the family. So he took my younger brother, my mom and I, fishing. We learned how to fly fish, and then it kind of became the family sport. We traveled around Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, West Virginia, fishing. That's fantastic. Yes. And then we've since discovered many more members of our family that fly fish. So we've had multi-generational float trips out west where his cousins, his grandkids, we've all been able to fish together. And then I have some other family history. If you did Ancestry.com, would it go back to like Isaac Walton or something? Um, Probably not. But there is an English connection with my last name, Owsley. And certainly... I have some previous generations of my family that built bamboo fly rods and have some contributions in the fishing industry, so it's pretty fun to learn that. I'm still learning quite a bit about that. Interesting. Yeah. So what species were you all targeting around home in northeast Ohio? Uh, Trout. Yeah. So around Castalia, Ohio is the blue hole, which is this 52-degree spring that comes out of the water. It's still kind of a mystery, as far as I know, as to where that water comes from. And it was channeled in a variety of spots and eventually flowed into Lake Erie. And some of the spots that it channeled on was private water. I think it was used for agriculture at some point. Then they started stalking trout into these streams. And it is still private water to fish, but for my dad, he was looking for a safe and kind of somewhat controlled environment to teach my brother and I where to fish, so that was a great introduction to fly fishing. Growing up, did you have to balance schoolwork with fishing? Well, I found a way to combine it just a little bit, because I was fascinated by the bugs, and so I spent a lot of time collecting bugs in the yard and kind of figuring out some of that stuff. I spent a lot of time outside, and so for me, it was kind of all connected. I can't remember if I was taken out of school to go fishing when I was a little kid, but certainly once I had a driver's license, I skipped school to go fishing. Nice. Yep. What kind of fishing would you do on your your day off from school? That was when I was in Charlottesville, Virginia. So I was fishing some of those small streams that were coming out of the Blue Ridge. And it was just driving up the road, doing a little research. You know, I'd go to the fly shop, get a little bit of information about some little public access that I could drive into and then go check it out, fish little creeks. Was Albemarle Angler your shop back then? No, it was one of the shops um, up 29, and I cannot remember the name of that. They're not there anymore. There used to be one on the right-hand side going north. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Little sign. Yes. Yeah, that's so built up. Have you been back to Seaville lately? Um, a little bit. It's, it's been crazy. a couple of years, but yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. Yeah, driving to Charlottesville used to be all right. Once you left 66, there was nothing till Charlottesville, and mm-hmm. now it's business the whole way. Yes, and we lived in western Albemarle County, so I would just head west from that direction nice. to go fishing. Did you ever go to Crozet Pizza? Um, I've been back to Crozet yeah, Pizza that's since good then. Stuff. Yeah, but right. I went to middle school out in Crozet. Okay, from middle school and driving, <laughs> where'd you go from there? So, I mean, high school and driving, where did you go? Yeah, and I should back up between um, right around in middle school is when I had my first trip out west. And so my dad decided that we would take a big trip out west, fishing, rafting, horseback riding. Like, that was going to be the big western trip experience. And that first trip to Wyoming pretty much solidified it for me at that young age that I said, yep, I'm going to go back out west. I could 
totally envisioned myself living right. in Wyoming and living in that area. So that really made it happen. College? <clears throat> university? Yep. I left Charlottesville and I went to college down in um, Asheville, North Carolina at Warren Wilson College. So in the mountains, just you know, almost directly south of where I was in Virginia. I'm sure Asheville looks a lot different now. I haven't been back in a lot of years, which uh, everybody's told me that. I'm not going to recognize the place because yeah, it's, it's built up. a lot of breweries. Oh, well, that's not you, a bad you, thing. You can't spill a beer without hitting a brewery. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, no, no <laughs> questions negative about that. No. All right, so, so school in Asheville, and you were mm-hmm. going out in, like, the Pisgah. And... Yes, and um, I fished the Davidson River. And I fished the North Mills, which I guess has completely changed since I was there. I even fished on the Swannanoa, which flows right through Swannanoa, North Carolina, where school is. And then had opportunities to go to the um, Holstein and the Watauga over on the border with Tennessee. Nice. What were you studying in college? I was a forestry major. Okay. So environmental studies, forest resource conservation, and then I minored in outdoor leadership. Still at this point, no plan on being a guide. Uh, nope. Actually, I had figured some of that out uh, by the time I had graduated from college. So in 1996, I went to Oregon, and I was working towards um, going to graduate school. And so I went for the summer and worked at Oregon State University as a forest research assistant. And I was working specifically on two forest entomology projects in the woods in Oregon. And I was checking out the school because I thought that might be a good place for me to go to graduate school. Wanted to get a sense of what graduate school was like, meet the professors, meet other students, see what the work was going to be. And realized during that summer, as much as I enjoyed the field work, primarily my job was probably going to be in the lab and going to be inside. Field work is the fun part. And yep, that's not where it pays. You're going to be under fluorescent lights most of the time. Yes. And I spent quite a bit of time in Corvallis tying flies once a week with a local group there and went on a bunch of outings with one of their fly clubs, spent some time in the fly shop and found myself, I'd ride my bike to work, save money so I could pay for gas on the weekends, just travel around Oregon and go fishing, which was awesome. But I realized that my heart wasn't necessarily in the research and the work that I was doing. So I spent a week driving back across the country to the East Coast and fished in Montana for that whole week and was starting to think seriously about the fishing industry. Uh, went to the, at the time, the Federation of Fly Fishers Conclave in Livingston, took some casting classes, luckily with Joan Wolf, and some fly tying classes, went fishing on the Bighorn, fished on, I fished with, um, Joe Humphreys, actually, he was out there doing a class, which was awesome. So fished around the Paradise Valley, fished a bunch on that trip back, and had the opportunity to talk to a few folks, and they said, if you have an interest in the fishing industry, the first thing you need to do is get a job in the fly shop. Luckily in Asheville, Hunter Banks Company was willing to hire me as a college student, so I started working there while I was in school, and then worked there for the next summer. And they had... A uh, group of women that Frank would bring to teach their women's fly fishing schools in the spring. So he flew out Lorianne Murphy and Patty Riley from Jackson Hole area, and I would assist them in teaching their women's fly fishing schools. Get some pretty big mentors. Yes, it was awesome. I couldn't have landed in a better spot at a better time. 
because those two women definitely encouraged me and said, hey, we need more women fishing guides out west. And we suggest you go to guide school, and then we'll help make some introductions for you and see if we can help find you a job out west, which was great because that helped lead my whole career in the West Yellowstone area. So how long have you been out west? So I moved out to... Um, Island Park, Idaho, right after I graduated from college. So I followed right on that path. I left Asheville, packed my car, drove out west, got there in time for guide school to start, and spent 10 days at guide school, and then I had a job lined up at Henry's Fork Anglers on the Henry's Fork, and that was in the spring of 1998. All right. So it's going to be 21 years of living out west starting this spring. Your parents were supportive? Uh, My dad loves it. I mean... I'm his fishing guide, so and he's my best and worst client, which so he knows. You for him? Yes, definitely. And my mom's come around. She's warmed up to it, and she's very supportive of me running my own business and sees that I'm following my passion. And so only, it's good. Only thing I really upset my parents with, we drove, actually we were in Oregon in 96. We, we may have pat, crossed paths. I came home from San Francisco with a nose ring. Oh. A big hoop in my nose. Yeah. Mom, mom didn't like that. But everything else I've done, she seems to be okay with. Yes. I, I think the thing for my mom is it's not that I'm in the fishing industry. I think she wanted me to be a little bit closer to home. So periodically she would send me a job application to the Albemarle Angler and say, you know, the fly shop close to home is hiring. I was like, trying to draw you back. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's not the same, Mom. Yeah. It's not definitely, the same. It's definitely nice to be close to the, the parents. My parents are like nine or ten miles away right now. We don't see them as often as we think you would. Sure. that close, especially with a grandkid. But, yeah, if we need something or back up for something or have dinner together it's nice to be close yes that's awesome and i get to see my i do see my parents um at least once a year if not more than that okay so and good if we're gonna throw a dart on a map at where you live what would be near it for people that aren't familiar with the western region i'm on the western side of yellowstone national park and about 30 miles from old faithful okay yep so literally 10 miles from the idaho border and Two and a half miles from the Wyoming border, but I live in Montana. And what uh, what waters do you guide on? Let's break down the rivers and how they're different, how you fish them, gear, and you get into hatches. Okay. Um, I primarily float the Madison River, and I have a Clackacraft drift boat, and do full-day float trips on the Madison. Uh, the first boat ramp that you can fish out of a boat from is at Lyons Bridge, and then the Madison continues down through the valley. It's known as the 50-mile riffle on its way to Ennis, Montana. So I do a lot of float trips on the Madison, and then I do a lot of walkway trips inside Yellowstone National Park. And so the beauty of Yellowstone is, despite it being a fairly short season that the park is open for fishing, the entire time that the season is open, there is a destination for fishing in the Yellowstone area. And part of why I love living in West Yellowstone is that I have fishing within 10 minutes of my house. I mean, every direction leaving West Yellowstone, there's a fly fishing destination. And as the season progresses, higher elevation streams start to fish a little bit better. That might be a little bit longer drive, but then other rivers come into shape and lakes that I have quite a bit of fishing around. What's a guided day like for you? What time do you wake up? Uh, usually at six in the morning. Um, sometimes it's earlier because the sun comes up earlier. But we have a German wire hair pointer, Norman, who is—he's um, on it. When the sun comes up, he's ready to go. So at least one of us is on dog duty first thing in the morning. 
And then it's um, filling water bottles, getting lunches ready to go, figuring out the day. Might be a few last-minute conversations about what time I'm meeting or where I'm going. But a few of my guide trips, especially in the middle of the summer, if we're doing a wade fishing trip into the park and I have a little bit of a drive, I could be leaving West Yellowstone between 7 and 7.15 in the morning. What kind of gear do you pack for the day? Well, um, if I'm on a walkway trip, it's my truck has a lot of gear in it. What do you drive? Hope, What's your fishing mobile? I hope no thieves are listening to that, but the uh, I would drive a Chevy Silverado. Nice. Half ton, full-size pickup. And I have a very organized system in the back. I have the decked drawers system, which is awesome. So I have a variety of fly rods for different spots. Um, there's always a backpack. There's always a cooler. There's a lot of fly boxes. And I have multiple pairs of waders, and I'm prepared for wet waiting. I'm going to have a bunch of different gear with me. What, uh, what rods are you throwing? Like length, weight? Most of the time, we're fishing uh, nine foot five at five weight. Um, that's kind of the perfect all-around rod. Okay, so nine foot fives. Yep, and I can go back to the truck. Okay. Comment too. Yeah, this is the benefit of. Right, so so one of the beauties, yeah, one of the beauties of Yellowstone is that we have a variety of fishing opportunities most every day. And so I tell my clients in the morning, and sometimes even when they book the trip, they don't know this that. Plan A is whatever we've discussed of their interest, expectations for the day, or where I think we ought to be fishing. Then we could potentially end up on plan C, D, or E for conditions that I have no control over. You know, it's entirely possible I could drive across the park and the river's blown out because of some overnight short, fast-moving rainstorm. It's entirely possible that the, a bison herd has taken over the whole pullout, and I can't get there. It could be that That's a first. there's bear oh. activity, oh. Okay. and so I try to always check the backcountry report for Yellowstone before I'm headed into some of the spots that I like to <laughs> hike into and fish, but there have been situations where I've been backpacks loaded, fly rods in hand, we've left the truck, and I get to the trailhead, and there's a sign that says bear frequency area, campsites are closed. Back to the truck, we come up with plan B. See, that's better than us. It's, like, taped off. Yeah, we're looking for a floater in the river. <laughs> yeah, no. Which, there could be dead bodies. Yeah. You never know. Uh, their bears have killed people during the time that I've been in Yellowstone. But What about mountain lions? Um, haven't seen one, and I've been followed by one. Yeah, but that's not I have cool. not seen any. There's been tracks... And I know they're out there, but that hasn't been a situation that I've had to deal with. How did you know one followed you? You saw your paw prints the paw next prints morning? Paw prints on top. No, that, that day. Oh, my God. Yeah, we were on horseback. We were going up to a high elevation lake to go fishing with float tubes with the whole group. I was guiding the fishing aspect, and then I had a wrangler who was helping with the horses. So we had ridden in, and the horses were so nervous. And I grew up riding horses. I'm comfortable with them but I can certainly sense when a horse is not comfortable and these are trail horses that a lot of clients ride like they're pretty steady horses and they were all nervous and all a little wound up and you could tell something was bothering them and that mountain lion had been around the corral at night and they hadn't gotten any rest and so then when we headed up the trail that mountain lion was somewhere on the trail knew that we had headed up the trail and then followed us up the trail so when we came back in the afternoon riding back down to the ranch you could see the paw prints right on the um wow yeah that was the closest i've been yeah, we might have drunk bums follow us around <laughs> but that's no nothing that's gonna like eat us and right. tear our face off yep 
It makes you very aware of your surroundings. Yeah, do you all carry the time. a sidearm, big knife? Nope, I carry bear spray. And um, we're, yeah, I actually don't, you're not allowed to carry a firearm in Yellowstone National Park. National Park. Well, yeah, but there's some nice. crazy bill about you can have a firearm in National Park, but as a com- commercial user, I'm not allowed to carry a firearm. Okay, commercial use authorization? Yes. Yep, CUAs. Yes. You get mine going soon for the yep. DC area. Mine's due at the end of the month. Yeah. Paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. That's a lot of red tape what we do. Yes. So if you're switching spots throughout a day, at that pullout, you just have fly boxes for different yep. situations? I have a... So in my truck, if I'm on a walkway trip in the park, um, the lineup for me, I have a smaller boat bag that I've got all those fly boxes lined up in because they need to be smaller fly boxes, different than my boat boxes that I might have in my drift boat on a float trip because I could be throwing them in my pack. I could be pulling out that specialty mayfly box putting it away and grabbing the hoppers you know and so i can be switching those out so i have a smaller bow bag stays in my truck organized um i have my kind of everyday pack that i use on a walkway trip that's fairly large i can easily get four decent sized fly boxes in that then my backcountry system i have a um, day pack that i can carry first aid kit raincoat lunches waters filter everything we need and then i've got a smaller pack that i'll take for the backcountry so i've kind of reorganized my flies a little bit i might throw in another extra one or two boxes for that for a specialty situation but i've organized my boxes so that i'm not carrying six to eight fly boxes into the backcountry with all the other stuff that i need and so if those if it's one of those days where i'm on plan c d or e to a different river then i'm probably not hiking too far in so that I can use that just day pack. You know, it's a waste pack. Are you tying your own flies? No, I can't keep up. I do tie some flies, typically smaller nymphs, but I definitely cannot keep up, especially with the dry fly activity. So I have a couple fly tires that I work with that tie some specific flies for me. And they are people who've lived in the area and kind of had their favorite patterns. So I bought flies from them. And then there's a few companies that I also order flies from. Sometimes it's the morning of a trip and I'm running into the fly shop, grabbing something out of the bin. So we have a lot of variety of fly shops in West Yellowstone. So that helps. That's going to be convenient. Yes. Yeah. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And are there any particular local flies that are specific to an area that people out here would never have heard of? Um, maybe. Um, there's so some of our favorite nymphs um, are the serendipity patterns, and then the old pattern. Yeah, the shop vac. Work. The shop vac is uh, there's some local story with that but it's definitely become a more well-known pattern but that works for some of our caddis and definitely midges down on the madison and then i do like a lot of the um, doa cripple patterns that were developed in west yellowstone fairly universal at this point but flies that came out of some experiences that some well-known fly tires and some of the fly shops in west yellowstone had 
with all the different mayfly hatches that we have and the variety of locations around West Yellowstone. And then your boxes and flies also by season, so you've got to take hoppers out and put the hoppers back somewhere in the house for the winter stuff? No. I So I have them definitely organized by season and a little bit um, also with bugs. So my, you know, I've got one box that's a lot of smaller nymphs, some general stuff that I might use throughout the season, and then one particular fly tires nymphs I might have lined out in another box. Then dry flies, I have two boxes that are a lot of the drake patterns and very specific larger mayflies that we have. Then I kind of have a general season mayfly box that's organized kind of throughout the middle of the summer. And there's a few betas in there, lots of PMDs, plenty of drakes, calabetus, gray drakes, brown drakes, they're kind of all covered in that particular box. Then I start to organize with attractors and then hoppers. So if I were hiking into certain destinations right in the middle of the summer, kind of higher elevation cutthroat streams, I'm definitely going to have some attractor patterns with me, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to run into certain mayflies, so I'll make sure I have at least two of those boxes. So being in the, I guess, the capital of fly fishing in America... And you've got competition. What sets you apart from other guides besides being super organized? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sometimes. Not always. Um, It gets a little crazy in the middle of the summer. But for me, um, I think it has to do with experience and the variety of different experiences that I try to take my clients on. Um, And so I've spent a lot of time getting to know Yellowstone and different fishing destinations. And so... Knowing my clients or getting to know those clients, I'm trying to meet their expectations, but I'm also trying to have them have a fantastic time fishing. And so I try to get to know them, what they're interested in, what their strengths are, and what kind of fishing they would like to experience or what they're what kind of gets them jazzed up. You know, do they only want to fish the fish that are rising that they see in advance instead of prospecting and blind casting? Or would they prefer to see something new? I have one client, he enjoyed hiking he said i just want to walk as far as i can and hopefully there's fishing there you know and so trying to get that information out of clients i feel like the variety of fishing opportunities we have around west yellowstone i can try to meet those expectations and with walking like that and going up and carrying pontoon boats other than your job what do you do to stay in shape you're pretty active yep lots of yoga and pilates and then fishing walking hiking rowing as much as we can kind of as soon as we can in the spring you know we get out on the water and and try to cover some water in a variety of experiences wherever the lower elevation streams are ice free and then then in the middle of the summer i really enjoy if i have a day off getting on my paddleboard and so I can paddleboard on one of our local lakes. And then for fun, I also like to fish off of my paddleboard. So paddleboard is actually a great workout. I get to combine both. Everyone says, like, just your core strength gets worked. Yeah, it's an amazing balance exercise to be on that. And then when you're fishing, kind of chasing fish around, it's a lot of kind of think fast, paddle this direction, get yourself in position. So I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just trying to get my paddleboard over there. All right. At the end of the day, what do you do? What's your schedule like? If you're getting up at 6 and things are probably organized from the night before, is it all just organizing? Yep, definitely organizing, cleaning out the back of the truck, dealing with water bottles, lunches, whatever else i got to get out of there to get ready for the next day. 
Uh, dog usually goes for a walk. Some communication with my husband as to what we're doing for dinner, whether that's um, getting something delivered or what we're going to prepare at home. West Yellowstone's kind of a crazy busy place in the summertime, and there's not a lot of opportunities otherwise, but cooking at home is definitely the preferred option Healthier. compared to what else is out there. And there might be a little time on the computer, kind of answering questions, emails, getting ready for the next day, or communicating with clients for the future, what's going to happen. And then the goal is to try to be in bed by 10 o'clock at night, but that doesn't always it's happen. It's still light out. It's, right? It is. Yeah. Uh, end of June, going into July, it is, sun doesn't go down until almost 10.45 at night. Wow. So. I would be exhausted just taking advantage of all that daylight. Yes. And, you know... Going for a walk with the dog in the evening is awesome. I think if we could, you know, fit in some time on the lake or something else, that would be amazing after a day. But some of our days are pretty long, so there's not really an opportunity for fishing after a whole day of guiding for us with that schedule. Any tips or tricks you've picked up that your client, you'll show them, and they're just like, wow, I've been doing this for like 40 years, and I had no idea you could do that. Like a casting or a knot or anything, just... You show them the way to do something better and they have no idea? Uh, probably the most recent one of those situations that I've really seen the light bulb come on with clients is a reach cast, which doesn't seem that foreign of an idea to a lot of folks, but I think for beginner anglers, the idea that your line could doesn't have to be in a straight line to your target from the rod tip to the fly right to the fish, and that there's different things you can do with the fly line to try to accommodate those different current seams or where the fly needs to be along the bank, uh, that seems to be an aha moment for certain clients about getting them into position, maybe perpendicular to our target, and then using a reach cast so they're not always mending and dragging the fly. Then my other favorite is that I carry a couple Sharpies in my pack. So I've been known to doctor up salmon flies, golden stones, hoppers underneath with that brown or black Sharpie. And then a lot of times with the smaller, say, mayfly patterns, depending on the stage of the hatch that we're imitating, if I can just highlight the post of a certain fly with a red or a bright pink sharpie really stands out against all those other little light gray wings or in a bubble line and so you get that. some clients they just go wow that's like putting headlights on my fly that was awesome and you get the guy who never knew who's colorblind he's like i don't see the difference yeah <laughs> right I'd, i wish we could get the colorblind clients identified far in advance yeah. of our guide trips is there a, a color that shows up better for you that you can see Oh. Do you have a preference for a, a cider, like a marker color, or when you're picking out a fly that's got a little... Uh, I, th I think in that pink and red range, that's probably the most visible for me. Okay. Yep. And what about this job continues to make you want to get up in the morning and, and go down a river versus <laughs> being like, you know what, I wouldn't mind putting on a fancy outfit and sitting in a cubicle for eight hours. Oh, goodness, no. I could never do it. Um, I think that... Um, being out on the water, being outside, and every day is different. Conditions are different, weather's different, clients are different, personalities, the fishing. It really is hard to predict exactly how that day is going to go, and I actually enjoy that part. I enjoy the being out on the water with clients part and fishing. And I'm always learning. You know, I'm always learning a new spot or where the fish have changed to or what's going on or noticed something that's going to benefit me on my next time on the water so 
And your husband, does he fish? He does. He grew up in Michigan, and he's also a fishing guy in West Yellowstone. Wow. And his name is? Mike Lobel, and he guides at Madison River Outfitters in town. Okay. He started working at that fly shop when he was in college. He would come out for the summers after college, and then he would go back to Michigan and work at fly shops in Michigan during the school year and decided to move out west permanently and that's the same shop he's been working at for years and I don't want to be his boss and we don't we do occasionally guide together but um, if he worked for Riverside Anglers I would be responsible for everything and I think that would be the demise of our relationship start arguing over things Uh, yes no I said size 18 cat is now 16 right or Yes, we have our own arguments. Uh, he has a completely different system for nymphing, which all of our clients and friends think is hilarious that he thinks that I don't know what I'm doing with fishing an indicator, and I'm fine with him having his system and I have my system, and everybody's good. That's funny. Yes. Uh, maybe he my, we he have thinks these... I need to come to the light and recognize his system. Uh, What's his method? System. He, uh, he uses two... No, I use... Um, the airlock, so I'll use a single thingamabobber style indicator, and he uses two never miss little corkies. One's pill shaped and one's round, so he pegs both of those on the leader. Okay. Do you ever get caught like trying to get some of his flies or going into his gear if you need something? Uh, I won't unknowingly go into his equipment, but we do help each other out. You know, there's times when I need to borrow something. He needs a say a right hand retrieve reel so he grabs one out of my stash there's certainly been some times when i've said wow honey that one caddis pattern that you were using on the fire hole seemed to be very effective so i might be able to weasel a few of them out of his box that's funny yeah what about someone that's listening now that's in high school or college and is sort of thinking what you had like i think i want to move out west and start a career in fishing what would you have for somebody in this current sort of fishing industry that, that wants to take advantage of that and, and go work in the fishing instead of the traditional office job somewhere? Well, ironically, my husband and I have been having this conversation with one of our friends, and on one hand, we've been trying to discourage them from participating in the fishing industry. However, you can't deny if you have a passion for fishing, and if that's what it is, then follow it. And I suggest that whatever your job is that you start in, you're always a student, you're always learning, and you're trying to become a better angler. Because I think being able to convey that passion and that knowledge to your clients is invaluable. And I also think that it's a bit of a competitive industry for sure, especially in some of the highly regarded fishing destinations, especially out west. So you really need to know what you're talking about. Um, And so going fishing, as much as you can, having a variety of experiences, working with different people, fishing with different folks, get casting lessons, learn fly tying, like learn as much as you can, and then start somewhere. You know, shop, be a shop rat. It could be a shop, you could work at a ranch, start you know, maintenance, whatever, so that you're hanging around those folks that are doing it, that you have an opportunity to go fishing with, and you can start to learn all the different aspects of the industry and, and hopefully find something that works for you. What about guide school? Is the one you went to still operating? Yep, Western Rivers Guide School. It's operated out of Jackson. Uh, there are a variety of guide schools out there. 
and some out west, uh, some on the east coast. And I think that's a fantastic opportunity for folks. And there seems to be a lot of people that take it not with the intent of being a guide, but just to know the ropes, be a better angler, how to row, how to rig, knots. Definitely, and there's and there's an application for that. There were a few folks back when I took guide school, there were two or three people in our class that never worked in the industry, but it was a great opportunity for them to kind of figure out that next level. But I think for me, the school of hard knocks was going to take a little longer. Maybe I was a little bit impatient, and so I wanted to go to guide school just so I could say right now legitimately I've had some professional training in rowing a boat and how the day is going to go and, and kind of set myself up for being able to use those skills rather than taking the really long journey to getting to that point. I wanted to have a piece of paper that said, yes, Alice Owsley has had this training. It shows. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It was a great experience. It was so fun. Um, yeah, it was 10 days, lots of education in the very beginning, and then we spent five days on the Big Hole River, camped out, and floating and fishing. It was right at the beginning of the salmon fly hatch up there, which was really fun, but it, I learned that water a little bit, which was great, but I had some really phenomenal experiences, and I'd also like to think that I got a few of those first-time guide opportunity experiences out of the way in my life so that I didn't have to do those later on when they could have been slightly more dangerous and or way more embarrassing. What would be dangerous? Clients just like trying to show up drunk and well, screw around? Yeah, guide school did not prepare me for that opportunity. I experienced that early on in my guide career. I've had people show up with a Starbucks cup full of vodka. <clears throat> I don't know. I can't smell it. Right. With the lids on. Right. And by the end of the day, you're like, what is going on? I also had three dudes want to go skinny dipping this summer in a public lake, like surrounded by condos. Oh. It's like, guys, you can't do that. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't like, had They didn't those. ask. They just started taking their clothes off. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's awkward. Yeah. They were Lithuanian. I guess nudity is... Okay, there. Thing in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking more of, um, I was kind of an ambitious young person and really excited and probably super nervous. And one of the first days that I was on the oars, kind of responsible for the boat, this was during guide school in a thankfully controlled situation because we had a guide in every boat, everybody had on a life jacket, that I, we weren't even fishing. This was just on the oars, learn how to operate all the stuff in the boat and kind of figure this out. And I was. Uh, 22 years old so float down the river and he says okay pull over you're going to pull the boat over to the bank and then um, drop the anchor and then I want you to jump out and grab the boat and then you're going to have to carefully unload your clients onto the bank so you need to control the boat slow it down make sure it's a safe situation so I'm rowing like mad take the boat over to shore I've dropped the anchor the boat's moving way too fast I hit the bank and then it pushes me back out into the river. And in the meantime, I've already jumped out of the boat. So I go down in the water over my head between the boat and the bank. And luckily the guide grabbed me and helped me back into the boat. Then he said, all right, start over. Pull up the anchor. Why don't you try that again? So Do thankfully, yes, I've never done that as an actual licensed professionally working fishing guide. Okay. Any injuries that people have sustained? <laughs> you've had to work with besides like hooks I always, my rule is if you get punctured with a hook photograph it before you take it out I've got a whole yes like folder on my computer of hooks and people oh wow yeah my um, most recent worst one of those was actually in myself where 
there. It took a considerable amount of time to get the fly out of my ear. Oh. Yeah. Like, both clients working together. One guide floated by. was kind of laughing at me because he could tell what was going on, and I was trying to summon him to the bank to come over and help me, which I felt bad. I was taking time out of his client's day. And he just laughed and kept going. How far is medical care when you're out there? Well... There is a small clinic in West Yellowstone. There's a medical center in Big Sky, and there's a hospital in Ennis. So we're Do you go in there and 40, people have, like, their goats, you know, 50. that broken foot, and you're in line with animals? No. It's like 40 to 50 miles, probably, wow. to dealing with certain medical care. Um, no. There's, you know, tourist traffic in the summer. They see a lot of different activities, but um, there's also a few vets by. So if you're going to take your goat in... Go to the bed. But no, there's injuries from people riding horses, boats, standard stuff that you deal with in a city too. What about that drunk dude who was harassing that bison last summer? Did you see that online? I did, and I'm so glad that the park rangers worked together and arrested him in Glacier, and he spent, I believe, just over 80 days in jail, which is awesome. Yeah. Really bad behavior by humans around wildlife. Yeah, that's. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I mean, that's Darwin Award for 2018 right there. Yeah, absolutely. And then at nighttime, do the guides... I mean, I have a guide where there are no other guides. It's just me. Like, I don't have anyone to... Like, you can talk to your husband about things. I've got nobody to converse with about water conditions, levels, what's happening. Is the guide community close together? Or is it, like, you work for one shop and it's like, you know, I don't know, like, the Red Sox and the Yankees? Uh, no, it's not in West Yellowstone, ironically, with the number of guides and shops that are in town. We, you know, we're all going into different shops and maybe grabbing some flies or chit-chatting with this one. There's certainly some time spent at the bar occasionally after work that you'll see people from different shops and different fishing guides that are in the mix. And we all know each other's trucks and boats and certainly driven by a trailhead or a parking spot and seen a vehicle and then sent a text message checked in with somebody so yeah there's a lot of communication that goes on back and forth and i certainly might pass a truck driving one direction and then text and or give a call and say hey were you headed to such and such or what did you see or have you heard anything about this so there's a little communication that goes on I feel it's like, like we're, we're captains f- on the water when there's you know fish chasing bait and crashing they all seem to show up at once um yeah a little bit of that i kind of refer to it as we're frenemies you know like i don't necessarily want to see another guide rig at certain spots because then there may or may not be enough space for a bunch of anglers in that particular area but on the other hand um they're my friends we're looking out for each other and you know we can share some friendly information of yeah man that was awesome you know, I had great fishing in there. Oh, I saw your rig. You know, my clients love small stream fishing. You know, how's that fishing these days? Oh, it was good. You know, we had a PMD hatch in the afternoon. Okay, great. I'm not going to be there tomorrow because my clients want to float. Awesome. So there's a little bit of sharing of information that goes on. Um, and we're fishing guides. 
I mean, you kind of have to filter some of it out and may not always believe everything you hear, but... Don't believe everything on Instagram. Oh, God, no. Instagram is the worst thing for fishing. Yes. fish that have died for... Yep, well, it is... We we can't blame, like, who started Instagram? Like, we know Zuckerberg from Facebook and Jack Dorsey from... Twitter. Twitter, but who's the Instagram person that's killing all these fish? I don't know. Yeah, there's a great sticker with the thumbs up, you know, Facebook ruined fly fishing. Yeah. Pretty entertaining. How has Yellowstone area changed since you got there? Besides modern technology coming in and like a cell tower where there previously was uninterrupted horizons. Yep. Thankfully, we don't have cell service throughout the entire park yet, but I hear it's coming. Certainly, I enjoy the fact that I can put my phone on airplane mode because I'm in and out of cell service all day. Just use it for taking pictures or in case of emergency, I'm happy to not have cell service. So... That's been a change, good and bad. Is there a Starbucks out there? Nope. That's awesome. There's Starbucks and Bozeman. That's our closest Starbucks, which is fine. They can keep it. We have local coffee shops in West Yellowstone and coffee roasted in town. So great local yeah, small why would businesses you want to support. Starbucks is gross. It's not good coffee. It's burnt. It's got a burnt flavor to it. Burnt and bitter. I'm and personally more of a tea drinker. So yeah, me too. But it's not a- Starbucks, if it was good coffee, people would go there to drink it black. You go there and you put 500 calories of crap on it. Sugary foo-foo stuff. Yeah. I'm drinking a Rishi brand tea right now. Oh, yeah. Their, um, their version of Lady Grey. Okay. Lavender. Yep. That's so good. And so do you make a London Fog? No. Add some sort of dairy product to I, it? I put a little bit of tea or cream, heavy cream and yep. honey. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, you're getting close to making a London fog. Yeah, and I'm going That's to good. London soon, so I want to go to like a 300-year-old tea shop and check it out. So I was in London a few years ago visiting a college friend that lived in England, and I did a, um, I downloaded some walking tours on my phone and then listened to those walking around. So City of London, I got to walk down into the very first Twinings tea shop from, you know, hundreds of years ago. Tiny little narrow shop paused the walking tour and walked in drank some tea bought some tea that was really awesome they probably i need to go there for the singapore they have twanings has their own singapore version it's not easy to get oh i bet they'd have it yeah it was just floor to ceiling every little nook and cranny all teas there's a mustard shop like that in paris in maison de miel and my my brother was just there and i had him get me a small jar of truffle dijon oh my gosh and they yanked it at security. I was like, no. No. <laughs> Gotta hide uh, that better. Yeah. Yeah, he I don't know what he was thinking letting them take that. Yeah, I would say the other changes that I've seen in the Yellowstone area, um, when I first started guiding in Yellowstone National Park, um, I was working at the Firehole Ranch outside of West Yellowstone. That was my first guide job in West Yellowstone. And the head guide was fantastic at showing me new water and helping train me so we worked on a few um, group trips together and I was really enjoying the fishing on the Yellowstone River and that was just when it was visibly in decline of the cutthroat population because of the threat of the lake trout that had been introduced into Yellowstone Lake and so I've seen a decline of that fishery over the course of my guide career and I know that there's fish in there and it's starting to come back but until we have a decent population of kind of 10 to 14 inch Yellowstone cutthroat in there I don't feel like we're really there yet you also moved out there sort of the tail end of whirling disease yes 
yeah, definitely. The rainbow population in the Madison is great, and I'm glad that they were able to end stocking for those fish in the Madison. And maybe early on there, I saw a few fish that were affected by whirling disease, but that's not something that we even discuss anymore with our clients. You know, the trout population in the Madison is quite healthy. It's like by numbers by mile. Not how they. How yes. many fish per mile, yep. which is always insane to hear. It is, and it's in the thousands is my answer. I don't know what the specific number is for the Madison. Do you ever snorkel it in the summer? I have. Much to the chagrin of some of my friends who were in the boat with me, they just couldn't believe what they were witnessing, but I've done some snorkeling. It's surprising. The Madison's a fairly fast-moving river with a lot of elevation loss, and I know that from rowing it and wading it, but as soon as I got in the water and started snorkeling, I was surprised at how fast I was moving downstream. So I've flown it in an airplane. I've done a little bit of snorkeling. Yep. And uh, certainly walked the boat, waded in a bunch of spots, and uh, floated over it in a boat. But there's a lot more of the river to snorkel. I want to do that back home, but I'm worried about being in my water with my head. My mom, I was telling, I think, uh, Wanda, my mom is like, don't get your ears wet. You're going to get a brain-eating amoeba. Oh, yeah. Well, you had a lot more influence of civilization on your rivers than yeah. we've had to deal with. So what coming out here, what is it like to see all of this? Tra- is it stressful for you to come to just traffic and lights and no left turns and tall buildings and noise? Uh, I can handle about three days in a city. And... I have spent longer here and visited friends and family in New York City and kind of enjoyed that cultural experience. But yes, after about two or three days, I'm I'm good on the traffic and the amount of people. Yeah. And I enjoy the variety of culinary experiences that I can have in a urban area, if you will. Just go to town. Would you go eat while you're here? So uh, the last two years, we've eaten at this really great Italian restaurant that. Um, somebody asked one of the cops, which was a great Italian destination for us that was close by, and they sent us to this little restaurant called Ferraro's. Just totally classic. Waitresses with big hair and painted fingernails, and they're asking you which pasta you want with your dish, and they're bringing in bowls of salad, and um, like, just... The amount of food you can eat here is insane. Oh, well, I went to bed in a total food coma. The table next to us was telling us what to order, what was the best thing on the menu. We, just, we had a really great time. So that's been fun. I'm not going to name the real guy who walked out, but emergency exit only didn't work for him. No. I'm still amazed about the people that smoke. Yes, that's been another thing for me. I don't have any friends that smoke back home, and every once in a while you smell it, sure. But then I've definitely noticed a few more people that I was a bit surprised are still smoking around here. And I like a cigar. I mean, I might have less than four or five a year, but I'm not going to go outside of a fishing show in 20 degree weather to smoke a cigar just stand around doing nothing I don't get that no I'm here for the show not to freeze but I guess if you're smoking you can't really feel your hands anymore the capillaries are all damaged oh I wouldn't know um what else anything that I didn't ask so far before we go into the sort of non-fishing questions um maybe a little bit of my path to ending up to where I am now of running my own business. Absolutely. So I worked for that fly shop in Island Park for one season and really wanted to be guiding. And so I had, in 1996, after I had a little bit of time under my belt of working in a fly shop, 
I became aware of the International Women Fly Fishers, and they had their first gathering in San Francisco in 1996. So I took off and went to that. I found out about it over that summer. So went to San Francisco for that weekend and met a lot of women both in the fishing industry and avid anglers and was very inspired by that group of women. You know, I finally kind of looked at this group of my people, you know, women who are passionate about fishing, and I thought that was awesome. And some of them are still close friends of mine today. So that set me on a little bit of a path of reaching out to some of those women for help with a few school projects that I was working on in college, but then also going back to that group after I'd worked in a fly shop for a season, and after college, I was looking for a guide job. I went to the next festival in the second next festival, which was in Sun Valley, Idaho, and told everybody I was looking for a guide job. So I met an outfitter from Alaska, and she was looking for a fly fishing guide. She wanted another woman guide on her staff who knew how to fly fish. She said, I'll teach you everything else, but I want you to be a fly fishing guide. And so I got a job working. My very first full-time guide job was actually in Alaska, in King Salmon, working on the Naknek River. Operating a 21-foot jet boat, we backtrolled for kings. I was fishing silvers and then giant rainbows, mostly fly fishing in the, at so the end of the season. Giant rainbow, how big are they up there? People were there to catch a 30-inch rainbow. Wow. Yep. And these are rainbows. They're not, they didn't go to the oceans. They weren't steelhead. They were spending time in the lake, go down the river, follow the salmon back up, back to the lake. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was awesome. So season of guiding in Alaska, I really enjoyed that. I had had my captain's license. I had every intention of going back, but I really missed Yellowstone and I wanted to get back to that part of the world. So came back, worked in a fly shop one more summer, and bought a boat, and then just took everybody floating who wanted to go float. Even if it was a group of women that just wanted to look at the Tetons and drink wine, didn't matter. I was your girl. So I took a lot of friends fishing, their out-of-town friends fishing, floated the river as much as I could. That led me to meeting folks that said, oh, you do know what you're after. You know you want to be a fishing guide. You're working on it. And I, um, I know that there's going to be some turnover in this guide staff. You should apply for the job. So I applied and then got a job working at the Firehole Ranch as a fishing guide. And so I worked there for several years until I had enough days to apply for my outfitter's license in the state of Montana. So I applied, took the test, got my outfitter's license. And I knew when I, before all that happened, if I had the opportunity to run my own business, that's something that I would want to do down the road. So after... Seven years of... That one is closed. I know that. Closed? Closed. Oh. I would just go in the trash can here. <laughs> seen it done before. We had a guy, Big Jim, in our dorm. And he would pee in the trash can in the kitchen. Nasty. He only lasted a semester. Yeah. When you get a pizza and then you'd like finish it and put the box outside in the hallway, he would go around and eat people's crusts. Gross. That's yeah, what our dog does. So vile. That's nasty. Big Jim. He's probably still single. Yeah. Ugh. So, after that, I uh, started working at the Firehole Ranch, and I knew that I wanted to run my own guide business at some point after I got my outfitter's license. So, I became the outfitter at the Firehole for the last four seasons that I worked there, and then in 2012, decided to leave and run my own business. So, I'm an independent outfitter and fishing guide in West Yellowstone running my business, which is Riverside Anglers. And where can we find that online? RiversideAnglers.com. That's it? Yep. And how did you meet your husband? Working in the fly shop. 
he was managing the fly shop, and then I was taking clients in there to get licenses and buy a new pair of waiting boots. That's all it took? Yep. How many years? He had had a crush on me for a while, which I didn't realize until the opportunity presented itself. How many years married now? We have been married for just over five years. Okay. Yep. Still going strong? Yes. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Despite the fact that I'm not going to use his indicator system, we still get along. Yeah. I'm going home because I haven't seen my wife in four days. Yes. I'm sure she's tired of dealing with our kid for a three-day weekend. There you go. Yeah. All right. Home. Want to do some uh, non-sort of fishing-related questions? Sure. Favorite Harris? Make, make no. me more nervous than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite Harrison Ford movie? Oh, um, probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. Best sandwich you've ever eaten? Oh, that's the... Well, my husband would be pissed if I didn't say it was his pastrami sandwich, but I think it's Harold's Deli around the corner. Right. That is a phenomenal sandwich from here. That's like Andre the Giant sandwich yeah they sell it one to three people should be fed by the sandwich the other day we fed five easy that's a whole side of cow yeah where's the worst place you've ever fished Ooh. hmm that's a tough call um because i was fishing i can't really call it like the worst time or bad time because at least i had the opportunity to go fishing um i've fished in some pretty like not pretty places on oddly enough you know fishing years ago you can't do this anymore since post 9-11 but you could fish in the cooling tubes off the turkey point um yeah the tarpon at night they can be lit up at night from the phosphorescent bio (laughs) yeah Yeah. but that's kind of a freaky place to fish i wouldn't say it's bad but it's just a little weird i've only been in there in the middle of the night i don't know what it looks like during the day i've only been in there during the day and it that definitely probably makes me nervous like i would throw my fly and hit 60 feet away and would light the water up from the phosphorescent yeah that can't be good yeah uh, what about if you had a superhero power to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Controlling the weather. Storm from uh, Marvel. Yeah. Yep, that would be me. Yeah. Yep, I'd love Weather's, to. it's changed. I mean, has the environment changed where you are? Are you seeing it's less snow? Well, we, we're kind of getting the extremes, you know, on one end or the other. So West Yellowstone is frequently the coldest place in the nation. And so I've worked outside in 36 below zero with my winter job driving a snow coach uh we've seen 52 56 below zero can't say that i went outside during that time but so we're already cold and so sometimes we see that a little bit longer um snowpack last year and the year before we had 140 to 150 percent snowpack which was phenomenal you know we liked getting that much snow but for us We've probably seen more years kind of concentrated. They're a little closer together of those years where we've had low water or warm temperatures, or we've seen maybe a fish kill, or they've had to implement hoot owl hours. It seems like those days are, we have those years more a little common. bit more often. Yeah. And I wish, did they have that for trout? I wish people would do that for warm water fish. Don't fish for bass in the wintertime. They can't handle it. But people seem to oh. be more concerned about don't fish for cold water fish when it gets hot, but they neglect the warm water fish when it's cold. 
I didn't really know that, so I did a podcast in a research largemouth bass. That they can't be fished for if it's like forty water, forty degrees and below. Yeah, it'll kill them. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either. I fished for bass a few times with a fly, but not frequently. That's fun. They're just like drunk frat guys. <laughs> they, they're not too particular about what it is, <laughs> as long as it's a good presentation and it moves well. That sounds like drunk frat guys. Yeah. Uh, favorite fishing book? Favorite fishing book? Yeah. Ooh. As far as uh, tall tales Anything. or education? Anything fishing related. Oh. It could be Dr. Seuss. That's true. It could totally be Dr. Seuss. Um... Only. Certainly, Joan Wolf's fly casting techniques, I think, is an eternal. I have. I'm, I'm not going to be able to give you an answer for one book. Okay. Yeah. So Joan Wolf's casting book is awesome. Dave Whitlock's Aquatic Trout Foods is probably my other book that I'm always referencing when I'm book. teaching um, to a group or in a in a school. And then I certainly enjoy stories, and I think some of the other, some of the um, a different angle, some of Holly Morris's stories books that came out several years ago by Seal Press, which were a collection of women's fly fishing stories. Those were awesome. Hot dogs, ketchup, or mustard? Both. That's like three in a row now. Uh, but no onions. Okay. Even from Ohio, no skyline? Uh, that's a tough one, especially being married to my husband who loves coney dogs. Oh so, God, yeah, he's yeah, he's schooling me on that one. We now make the hot dogs in the air fryer on the rotisserie. <laughs> so Getting good. gourmet with yeah. your hot dog. What would ruin a day on the water for you? Um, probably exactly what you had suggested earlier with uh, drunk clients. You know, I've had clients get drunk on a guide trip, and then I've had clients show up still drunk and then puking. Why are you there? Let's go fishing. That's right. what we're here for. I had some guys from New sucks. Zealand that had some beer, and it was 95 degrees out. And I was like, normally we're not going to drink, but it was so hot. They're like, it's New Zealand beer. We're never going to get it. It's like, all right, I'll take a can with me. And one of them's like, I got to pee. And he just pulls his pants down in the middle. And I, this is urban. I'm like, I don't know what you do in New Zealand. Like, the Lithuanian guys. I'm like, you can't just urinate in the open. Like, he had his hands, like, standing like Superman, peeing in the water. I'm like... There are cars going by. Yeah, and I fished in New Zealand. I didn't see anybody doing that down there. So okay. That guy's a freak. And let's, what uh, gear, if you left at home or in your truck, would ruin your day? Imagine your truck's like Captain Caveman's pouch. Yeah, there's like three fishing nets. There's multiple sets of forceps, lots of nippers in there. I would say it's, I can't say which one it would be, but it would be a fly box. Yep, that would suck. And where are you headed to after Jersey? Headed back to West Yellowstone, and I drive a snow coach into Yellowstone National Park doing park tours. So What's a snow coach? A giant over-snow vehicle. Cool. Basically, the guy who invented the snowmobile invented a tracked coach with skis on the front, and those have evolved several times since 1937, but I drive a coach based on kind of that original design. So it's an over-snow vehicle that can transport 10 people to the Geyser Basins, Canyon, any of those areas for a tour. We also do cross-country ski tours and photo tours in the park. So I have a day off once I get home, and then I will be working with a photo tour, um, transporting them through the park to Canyon. Nice, clean, crisp air. Yes, definitely. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The show's going well for you? Yeah, the show's great. Yeah, there's quite a few folks here. I've enjoyed, I've run into a few clients that I've fished with in the past, which has been really fun. And then certainly had good, rep, good 
participation and attendance to all of my presentations. So Fantastic. met some new folks. All right, Alice. Well, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Rob. All I right. appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.